Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the airport lounge. Table for two gentlemen? Right this way. Here's your booth. Have a great show. Welcome to the Airport Lounge, the Winnipeg Jets podcast, much like Blake Wheeler, available for a buyout. I'm Mike Guthrie, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and a shiny, happy person, except not shiny and not super happy, Vaughn Mitchell. How's it going, buddy? I'm a happy guy. It's summer. I've been on the deck, you know, having some barbecue, you know. it's It's been a good summer, and I'll tell you, Mike, like any connoisseur knows, the best meals are eaten in small bites. Only the glutton consumes in oversized portions. And as we reflect on the recent developments in Jetsville, we see that the rabbit appetite of some for sweeping change on the roster was never on the menu. This is not Shakey's Pizza and Buffet. No, my friend, it's been more like Spanish tapas, a series of small, savory dishes, when considered on a whole, satisfy in their totality, which may be the best way to oversimplify recent Jets transactions. But let's discuss further. Mitchell's Corner, he had a little restaurant review there. That was well played. I've been eating a lot, so it's summer, so. Well played. So, yeah, we have a bit of a potpourri podcast, this one, because there's been a a lot of news, and it's been two, three weeks since our last one. So we're going to go sort of in chronological order from uh, probably the biggest news or or trend-setting event right down to what what some of our predictions are. For the future, so we'd obviously going to start with the the big PLD trade. You want to kick us off? Yeah, um, big news. I think we got our last podcast in before all this we went did. down, which yeah. was kind of neat. And then, you know, the, the upside of providing some time and space in, you know, after these things have developed, you get some perspective. You get to read some articles and and kind of formulate some analysis as opposed to what you what your knee jerk reaction may be. But you know, starting this all off on June twenty seventh. Pierre-Luc Dubois was traded to the LA Kings in exchange for three players and a draft pick. As any Jets fan will know, coming back to the Jets were a young, big, offensively gifted, but defensively responsible Gabe Velarde, a masterclass defensive forward in Alex Ayafalo, a former first-round pick in Rasmus Kupari, and a second-round pick. So I think just super quick, I think what this does, uh, it, it does improve the Jets' second, third, and fourth lines, especially defensively. But I'm interested to hear, I think we can go through one by one but generally what was your feel of the of the trade mike do you think you think the jets were winners or losers or um how did you feel after it yeah and i think on our last one we had um surmised to a certain extent like la it was no secret that la was the strongest suitor for pld and i i think both of us at the time were where we were going to be pleased if not sort of somewhat elated with a velarde uh, IFLO trade yeah. and then and maybe some tangential bits at the end, but uh, Kupari is a is a pretty good prospect in his own right, and a 2024 second rounder is nothing to sneeze at either. I, I think I, again, 
I will I will readily admit that I use this platform to be critical of Kevin Shovelday off <laughs> probably more frequently than others, but I thought this was an excellent trade. And and I think that if you know if you're just looking at from a statistical analysis, because I'll admit I haven't watched Velarde or, or some of the others play to any significant degree, but just from a statistical perspective, like their goals is over replacement or wins is uh, over replacement are they would have finished fourth and sixth on the on the Jets, you know, and PLD oh, yeah. was, was second and Morrissey was first. But I, again, the, the defensive aspect to both of their games, you know, Velarde and Iafello, it are excellent and they, not a fake defensive prowess like PLD seemed to get credit for. Yeah, he because he's big and because on occasion he'll make um, you know he'll make a strong play on the puck in a corner or get nifty with a stick in tight spots. He seemed to get benefit of the doubt for his defensive scheming, and he just wasn't very good. And, and I think a lot of that had to do with with, with effort. And I think, the, you know, at the start of this, the Jets were very forthright in saying, we're not looking to rebuild. We're going to retool mm-hmm. on the fly, and we want to be continue to be Stanley Cup hopefuls. And I, I have to admit that this was a really good start. Now, we'll, you know, Gabe Velarde signing for for two years puts us in sort of a similar precarious situation, but we could talk on about that later about when the signings. But all in all, you know, I give it like a an, an A or an A minus. I, I thought we did really well there. Absolutely, especially given the reality of the situation uh, with PLD, he didn't want to be here anymore. Right. I'm still not sure why. Like I get it, but I thought his heart was set on Montreal. Now his his heart had always been set on LA, or whatever the case may be. Maybe it was just his desire to have control and control over where he played. So, but let's move on from there. We have these players. Uh, I, I I do agree with you. I think if you look at it, if, if Velarde is the key piece. If it was a one-for-one trade, the Jets would have lost the trade because Velarde isn't PLD. For all we can pick apart in PLD's game, he's not as good as PLD. Not the talent, no. But he's a pretty darn good piece, right? He is a legit top six forward. We'll talk about him a little bit more. But on the aggregate, I think this does – it does – it's a very nice package for for PLD. It's phenomenal given that we had to move PLD and there wasn't a ton of suitors for him. Uh, I I don't know if they won the – trade but they certainly didn't lose the trade i think going forward some variables will come into play to determine who really won uh in terms of you know can velarde stay healthy because that's something that he's battled a little bit in his career uh he's had some back problems so if he can stay healthy it sure looks like this is going to be a guy that can put in 25 30 goals a year a little bit like like you mentioned a little bit more legitimately defensively responsible and i think that was the common thread in addition to what you identified in terms of rebuilding on the fly, getting better defensively. I think Velarde can bring some offensive punch, but again, with improve the defensive outcomes with the players he plays with. Ayafalo is a well-established NHL forward who excels at the defensive side of the game. I think he has the potential, if we put him along the sides of a Lowry and a Baron, of having an elite third-line shutdown type line. Um Kupari, like, then, then it gets interesting, right? Like, were the Jets going to throw in some additional pieces? Well, the, the additional pieces that maybe we thought the Jets needed to throw in, whether it be a Logan Stanley or a Jansen Harkin or uh, a draft pick, we actually didn't have to throw no, in they anything threw else in. Stuff. in. 
and they threw in stuff, whether it be a Kupari, a former first-round pick, by yep, the way, 20th absolutely. overall. 20th, yep. I mean, he, again, he's had uh, some challenges in Struggled developing this yep. game. But maybe he can be a, a legitimate NHL forward at some point in time in his career. So, you know, that is added value right there. And a second-round pick. And, you know, that could turn into something. It, it doesn't have a high probability of turning into an NHLer. But, you know, we got L.A. to throw in those extra pieces to get PLD. Just kind of like where we had to throw in Jack Roslevic. Roslevic, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, we kind of we kind of turned the tables on this. He one. wanted so, out too, though. But he did, he did. So you know, I do think that this is, um, you know, this is a trade that makes our top nine better. Uh, I I really believe that there is. This puts a little. We'll, we'll get into it. This puts a little bit of pressure on a Perfetti to accelerate his development and be a really good player. But the small sample size we saw last year was pretty good, both in terms of you know uh, the, the war and the gar and those types of things. Statistically, yeah. the Jets were pretty good when he was in the lineup, and they kind yeah, of crashed. Yeah, the lines were when when he left. So, yeah. you know um, what the what the Jets lost was a legitimate top line center who can be dominant when he's engaged but he's invisible when he wasn't, okay? None of the Jets, the players the Jets acquired will re replace what we traded away, but like Moneyball, they may be able to make the Jets better in the aggregate. So I'm excited. Uh, the re-signing of Velarde, you know, again, the Jets have all been about positive vibes, and we'll get into that a little bit, but I, I like the vibes of Velarde. I follow, seemed open. I mean, what worse nightmare if you're an L.A. King than be, <laughs> to, to, to be honest? They, let's, they let's acted it out well, honest. though. They're, they're either they good actors or genuinely well. they, exactly. they don't. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I do think that there was some legitimate... Um, I do think that they're both looking at an increased importance in role here with the Jets, and I think it seemed as though they were looking forward to it. So, like I said, did the Jets win the trade? I don't know. But given the reality of the situation with PLD, they certainly didn't lose it. No, and I agree. And I, and I think I'll... You know, you're, you're absolutely right. Trades um, evaluated in a vacuum, especially right after the trade, is is kind of a foolish practice because you know the, there are it, sometimes years, if not half a decade, before true victors exactly. of a trade can be de determined. The only other thing I would add that was really well put is I did see an interview with PLD, and he he mentioned that he can now be himself, and, and I, I was like, all right, who were you before? Like, are you getting yeah. a tattoo of that? I, I just uh, there's something. I think psychological, and this is very armchair psychologist, but just his engagement from game to game, some of the interviews, I, I think PLD is still a young man trying to um, trying to find himself and is sort of subject to whims and fancies to a certain extent. I, I think he's immature is the best way to put it. And you're right, PLD is the best piece in this trade. But that's only if he develops into the player that everyone has said and is saying he's going to be for the last two, three years. And that has, you know, last year was probably his best year. And even then, there were large swaths of inconsistency. So anyway, we'll, 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 keep, we'll keep tabs on that one. Absolutely. So let's move on to the draft. Right. Just one day later, on June 28th, the Jets selected Colby Barlow from the Owen Sound in the OHL with the 18th pick in the opening round. Uh, the pick was seen by many as having great value where the Jets were, you know, relative to where the Jets were selecting. Uh, Barlow was ranked around 12 by many scouting yeah, agencies. Yeah. 
in a draft that was supposedly deep in generational scoring talent, it's pretty reasonable to assume that Barlow may have been a top 10 pick in other less talented drafts. So, mm, that's fair. Um, I never thought about that way. Yeah, you know, if you think about it, you, you know, he, he dropped a little bit. Uh, maybe for some of the reasons we'll get into, maybe his skating. He skating, doesn't have a probably, yeah. completely a well-rounded game. They really say he's a, a shoot-first kind of guy. Um, but, you know, so that you see him around 12, and if this had been a different year, I really think that this is a top-10 pick. So I think the Jets got great value with Barlow. He seems to fit the mold and uh, of the shiny, happy person, right? Um, you know, he comes well-accomplished, 46 goals, Captain of his team as a 17-year-old. Yeah, sound, yeah. OHL Scholastic Player of the Year. And uh, obvious leadership and character um, made him a fit for the Jets. So that's kind of overall what I think your immediate get is on Colby Barlow. What did you see, Mike? Yeah, and, and I think the, the Jets are eschewing in favor of sort of character and, and leadership. Yeah. Now, you know, out of all the things that sort of armchair pundits like us can – not do is is judge that so we have to take the words of the scouts and coaches and and those in a position to evaluate but he that was the on the broadcast during the draft they were over the moon profusive with their praise in terms mm -hmm. of you know it being a 17 year old captain and just his presence in the in the dressing room and they're they provided some some anecdotes and again you know like the more who went right after him Probably, I think, at least at this stage, has a higher upside in terms of forward totally prowess. Because you know he's a he's a speed demon, and you you know you, you start putting these pieces together with Lambert and Ethers, he could probably build a, a, a at least a speedy team. And and I think you know the knock on more was that he's got to work on sort of some of the finishing. But you know it remains to be seen what's easier to develop finishing or, or skating. But I, I thought it was a great pick. And, you know, thank you to, to Arizona for taking some wild cards early on in the oh, draft. Oh, yeah. Thank you very in, in, much. In their ridiculous, ridiculous matching suits. What a joke of an organization. Sorry, I, it just bugs me. Like, it, if the NHL wants to take itself seriously, they need to jettison that team. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I, I, I liked it. And, and you know, the we, we didn't have a second the round pick. The matching suits. Did you like the matching suits? Nothing says professionalism like, hey guys, let's all get matching suits. Like, like a marching we're on a band, look. bachelor party. Yeah. Anyways, you know I don't look good. Sorry, I interrupted you. Please continue. <laughs> no, and and so we you know we didn't have a second round pick. We had a, a third, two fifths, and a and a seventh. And I, again, before we go to the, to some of the later round guys, do yourself a favor. Check out on Twitter. There's a Twitter handle, the Col Colby Barlow Fan Club. Oh, that person is prolific. I don't. I I <laughs> I did a bit of Sherlock Holmesing, and I was trying to figure out who it was. I, I assumed it was a relative. I, I couldn't find anything. But it it you know for anybody listening, it is because I was in Twitter and I searched for Colby Barlow, and the Colby Barlow Fan Club account showed up about 400 times. So wow. he's already he's already got an avid fan. Check it out. It's, it's I, I will check it out. I have not seen it. And and what's interesting is uh, not only did uh, the TSN crew think very highly of him. Now, he's an OHL guy, so a lot of those guys being Toronto-based and Ontario-based, yeah, they've been watching this kid since he's 12 years old. They probably know him better than um, 
than most, but that's a good thing. I don't think, I, I think that they would know his warts. Um, and, you know, they need to speak positively of whoever gets drafted. Yeah, that's fair. But they seem genuinely uh, excited for this kid um, and, and for him to be going to a Canadian organization. So I think that was legitimate. And those who are, are assessing our prospect pool, uh, I think a lot of them put him near the top. Now, I didn't see him at the top of many lists in that, you know, someone may have ranked a Brad Lambert higher or a, a Rucker McGrory higher, but he immediately factors into that list very well, and he is projected to be as good, if not better, than any of the other guys we have. So yeah. that was positive. Uh, I think there'll be a role for him in the top six, um, and I think that's what you need from your, you know, not every first-round pick is going to turn into a Kyle Connor. You know, but if you're picking at 18, if you can pick a guy so that can factor in yeah. his top six forward for 10 years, I mean, that's a good pick. Absolutely. And then and then with a little bit of luck, you know, his skating comes around, his playmaking ability improves, which are two things that were identified as something that maybe weren't as high on his development list than than other people. Uh, then then we're like we're, we're looking at the next Kyle Connor, a guy who was kind of taken in the back half of the first round that has sort of exceeded expectations. So uh, we'll see where he goes. I'm excited. He's. We'll talk about the development camp in a few minutes. But he certainly created a bond uh, with his former, or former with his co-Jets development athletes, and and certainly made an impression on Winnipeggers with the short time he was here in Winnipeg. So you know, I don't have a full assessment of every player that the Jets drafted, but I no. do note that one other notable player uh, the Jets t drafted was. Thomas Millich, yes, thank you. A highly accomplished goalie Very, for yeah. the That's Seattle exciting. Thunderbirds, an overager at twenty. He's posted excellent numbers despite being on the smaller side. He's only six feet tall, but I think this is great value at pick one fifty one. And this guy actually could play in the NHL. So yeah. you're getting a possible NHLer, a guy who's won wherever he's been. Uh, we get him at one fifty one. He just doesn't have some of the measurables. I mean, uh, no. how many? Who is it that we follow that says you know? Uh, goalies are voodoo is it garrett hole that says goalies are voodoo you yeah, just, yeah you don't you can't look at them when they're 17 18 years old and project forward with any level of confidence but this is a kid we kind of know a little bit more about him because he's 20 but he was the other guy that i was most interested in coming out of the draft yeah and, and if you like narratives i mean we took hellebuck in the fifth round and it was yeah, it oh there probably, you go probably goes down as one of or the best uh jets 2.0 lottery selection or draft selection and yeah. again, that means absolutely nothing because there's there's no that's all just noise and no signal. But I I, I was excited for him as, as well. The goalie portion of the draft I I typically ignore because to your point, it's really difficult to assess goalies at, at that age. But he was a name I had written down in, in some of my draft boards, and um, I, I think it was a good pick. The only other the only other guy. That I wanted to quickly address Zach and is it Neering? I get all the names wrong, man. You know me. I would think it'd be Neering. Neering. Okay. It was. I don't know if it was germane to the selection, but, but it, you know, it. They all the analysis on him was that he really wanted to come to Winnipeg, and his mom was oh, from yes. Manitoba. Yeah. You know, and he's a yeah. he's a bigger bigger guy. And I, I at some point, there's a part of my brain that's like, okay, but we're not doing that now, are we? Like we're not, Apparently we're not, we are. we're not paranoid enough where it's like, we're not, we're going to just ignore overall draft capital and, and talent and just find the people with relatives in Manitoba because that's a myopic way to draft. I, again, I'm saying that without knowing the, how Shovel Day Off and crew came to that selection. It just, it seemed very overt to me that everyone 
was very quick to highlight that. And I was like, all right, is he any good? That's all I care. No, he wasn't. And that's the thing. Everyone was just like, this is the worst pick in the history of the NHL. (laughs) Yeah, he wants to be in Winnipeg. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, hockey is secondary now. (laughs) All right. So, Mike, we're going to pay some bills? Let's pay some bills. All right, Mike, let's pay some bills. All right, so DraftKings. Okay. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPM. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPM, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York... Call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resorts in Kansas. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casinos at Charlestown Races. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpdg.org. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet is 50 bucks. 10 plus leg rec for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball teams. Nice. There we go. Say that 10 times fast. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I might have to call in sick to work. I'm exhausted. That's well done. Okay. So transition and sort of next in our chronological order was our O captain, my captain, Blake Wheeler, bought out by the the Winnipeg Jets. A a concept and a thought at the beginning of the summer I was a little dubious about, but as the summer progressed, you know, you hear rumblings and it seemed more and more likely. And so two things, and then I'll turn it over, where A, the Jets did the the right thing, and I think it was the smart business decision. And B, I, I think this happens probably to most athletes, is that I think a, a, a significant majority of Jets fans, myself included at times, remember the Blake Wheeler from the past three years rather than the Blake yeah. Wheeler from 2016, 17, yeah. and, and, and 18. But I'll, I'll, I'll turn it to you because I've got some, 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 some uh, food for thought or a Jack Handy moment. And now Deep Thoughts by Jack Speaking of food, on June 30th, the Jets ordered off the menu and placed their former captain, Blake Wheeler, on unconditional waivers for the purpose of buying him out. That's not bad, eh? That ties into our <laughs> food theme we got nice. going. Nice, look at you. So a bit of detail, the 36-year-old was owed $8.25 million for the upcoming season, which was the final season of his contract. The move saves the Jets $5.5 million against the cap this season. Um, and uh, it uh, hurts this podcast because he's a lot of content for this podcast. So, <laughs> <It really is. laughs> yeah. 
So no longer will we be able to complain about wheelchair wheeler wandering the ice lost and unable to pick up simple passes from his younger teammates. Yeah. Um, Sadly, the removal of Wheeler from the Jets lineup, especially from the top six, in and of itself becomes a source of considerable improvement, which is a little bit sad. Uh, Whoever gets his minutes, whether it be Perfetti or Niederreiter or Velarde, will make the top six better. Uh, a little bit more background. The Jets hadn't bought out a player since Mark Stewart in 2017. Right, I had that written down, yeah. Yeah, it's not in their DNA, but nope, they did it anyways. So uh, most likely because the player was supportive of a change in scene. So probably both sides have said, like, let's just do some business, right? Let's let's look at this from a business perspective. Wheeler wants to continue to play hockey, but he understands he's not playing at a level, an $8 million level anymore. But he wants to play. He Maybe he wants to change a scene. Maybe he just wants something different and you know when you're eight making eight million dollars you you are expected to carry a certain load and a certain level of ice time and a certain level of responsibility he simply couldn't carry that anymore this was a move that made sense for both sides which is why i think it happened even though it's not in the jets dna and it was done in in what appeared to be a non-acrimonious manner we had wheeler and say what a very what appeared to be a very sincere thank you and hey, this is just this is business. It's time to move on. It's not personal. So um, you know, just super quick, Mike. And then I'll turn it over to you because this is important. But we would be remiss if we did not once again acknowledge that Blake Wheeler is probably the best Jet 2.0. Connor Hellebuck may disagree with that, but Blake Wheeler was damn good for a long time. He played at an NHL All-Star level for multiple years and was a dominant force for the Jets. And as we have shared on this podcast previously. We were concerned that his legacy was being tarnished if it continued to be used in the manner in which he was being used. His acceptance of being removed as captain was classy and laudable. His goodbye speech, as I mentioned, was legendary. Get his number up in the rafters pronto. Yeah, and I, I yeah, the, on the on the ice production was something where you know I, I think one of his stronger attributes is that Blake Wheeler always gave a shit. In that there was there I I can't recall off the top of my head. Uh, any game where I left saying, ah, Blake Wheeler just wasn't giving her t- tonight. And that's that's, fair. that's very far and few between for a, a guy who's the captain and a, and a star player. And so that is, that's commendable. And, and I think the other commendable part of his game was that he worked at it. When he, when the Jets first came back, Jets 2.0, he had a Evander Kane vibe where it was just, I'm just going to get the puck, skate as fast as I can down the right wing and take, you know, an uh, ill-advised shot from probably terrible angles. And he developed into a really, really exceptional playmaker and, and, and someone on the power play that was, you know, sometimes magical. And again, mm-hmm. that's to be commended. The one, I was trying to think of what something was sort of gnawing at the, at the back of my neck. And I, I put it this way, like, do you have a Blake Wheeler jersey? No, I don't. Right, and, and uh, no one I know does, and anecdotally, of course, but his jersey representation, I would say, is fourth or fifth. Like, there are lots of Morrissey jerseys, lots of Ehler jerseys, lots of Shifley jerseys, lots of Hellebuck jerseys. Not a lot of Wheeler jerseys. Yeah. The, Wheeler is not someone... I agree. He, his, his number should go up in the Raptors, but I, I, there was something... Personality, the way he came off with, in the media was somewhat truculent. The way that he he was sort of prickly, and yeah. and standoffish to to a certain extent. His his game it, itself, 
um, they're just something. This whole ethos, not something that I like. I'm not going to be telling Sawyer in in five years about, you know, my undying love for for Blake Wheeler. Like he was proficient at his job, he was captain, and, and again, I think it can't be, it can't not go unmentioned that, you know, I think I do anyway. I personally, I think that he had to take direct responsibility for whatever is going on behind the scenes with the Jets every year, especially the last few years in terms of the malcontent and the, the post-season press conferences that are just complete freefall. Again, it doesn't negate his contribution as a Jet because he was a great one, but it, there was just something... But you thought you'd bring it up anyways. Yes. I, 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 well, I, I gotta be honest. I, I, I don't... like. There was just something about him that... You know, there's didn't take him to that next level where there was sort of the uh, adultery that goes along with other star players and captains. Well, remind me not to invite you to my retirement party because that was the worst goodbye speech I've. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, this is a podcast. We're having fun. I, I think that um, what we've done, perhaps we didn't do it in in the right order. It doesn't matter, but we've captured the conflicting. Legacy, right? The that, totality that I think of Blake Wheeler. The totality of Blake Wheeler's time in Winnipeg. You know, he took us as far as he could, but he just couldn't get us past um, that into that final stage. So, maybe I'll close with a quote from Shakespeare in trying to be nice. What's that? You think you're better than me? You know, good night, good night. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say good night till it be morrow. Good night, Blake Wheeler. Well done. I I, th I think he's going to delete my portion of too, this segment. Yeah, too, too weird. Anyways, I'm just no. All good, man. I'm here all day for Shakespeare references. All right, you do right. you, Scotty P. All right, let's move on to the development camp. So a few days after we learned that Blake Wheeler was no longer going to be a Winnipeg Jet, all the young guys. So it was kind of out with the old, in with the new. July fourth, the Jets opened their 2023 development camp for recent draft picks and other organizational prospects. Yes, some hockey practices were held, but really this was more of a propaganda tool to showcase the budding bromance between future Jet co-captains Rutger McGroarty and Colby Barlow. Ooh, really Did we just become best friends? Sure okay, you? Yep. There, there was a lot of karate in the garage ongoing during the development camp, just let me say that. So Ooh. a couple other notable things with the development camp. The oft-injured Chaz Lucius was also in attendance but didn't take part in the contact part of camp. He's hoping to be 100% fit and ready to go for the upcoming yeah, season with the with Manitoba that. Moose. And finally, before I turn it over to you, I wanted to bring attention to the fact that we had a player named Scooter Bricky on the roster during our development camp. You don't <laughs> often hear a name like this without Hedge Fund CEO preceding the name. <laughs> Joining us now is Hedge Fund CEO Scooter Bricky on the impact the Fed increasing interest rates by 25 basis points will have on the economy. So that's where I kind of think the name Scooter Bricky may may go I, I look forward to hearing his financial advice uh sometime in the future so um yeah it was it was certainly a showcase for uh those two rector mcgrory colby barlow i know a lot of guys are, are a lot of people are high on um uh, brad stewart but uh he seemed to not have the same profile as those two what did you pick up from the development camp yeah, no, I, just with the name Scooter, there's no middle ground. Like, you're either, like no. you say, a CEO, or you're one of the characters in Deliverance. Like, yeah. there, there's no middle ground. You're not... You got a banjo. Yeah, you got you're a banjo, either, and you're, yeah. you're you're doing stuff. Yeah, again, we'll keep this one short, because I, I, my fascination was with the, the, the bro down with McGrady and Barlow, and it, it's good to see, and it's 
good, at least anecdotally, again, anyways, that, you know, they are as advertised personality-wise, at least superficially. So, you know, th that was good. I I'm less inclined to care at all about that stuff at this stage. Like, I it, it would have been nice for me, anyway, to see reports of, oh, well, you know, Barlow actually, you know, looks a lot better in person on skates than his draft profile might suggest, et cetera, et cetera. I, he I heard some good rumblings about um, Chibrikov. That he, yes. that he is he is a, a you know a clean and excellent skater and has got a lot of got a, got a lot of talent but uh, you know at this stage all of this stuff is is just fodder puff yeah. fodder it's right it's beyond speculation yeah but it, you know it's it's fun it's fun fodder it was I think it was a it, it is a chance to focus on the future and the young guys and it was good for me it was a little over the top but not in a terrible <laughs> way no you're right. It was fun. It, it, it was they're they're really pushing this, you know, uh, shiny happy people vibes, and, and uh, that's what made me kind of connect with that song. Uh, not that I'm a huge REM fan, uh, I'm not, but I do think it encapsulated the vibe that was trying to get a. The vibe is the vibes that they were trying to get across, certainly at that camp. So um, I, I I'm optimistic. The one thing I'll say, listen, uh, we should all be cheering for Chaz Lucius. And for him to be healthy, um, healthy yeah. and without injury for a year, because I think we got a pretty good crop of young forward and he's good. prospect. And he's good. Uh, a lot of um, analysis of our draft pool put him as the the best of the group. He's just got to stay healthy. Right. And, you know, injury prone is a term that's thrown around quite a bit. Scientific analysis will tell you this. There's no such thing necessarily but it remains to be seen whether this is sort of a whether there's it's part of his dna that just always gets hurt or he's just very unlucky and i'm, I'm hoping he's just very unlucky you know i do see it though as a guy that coaches 18 to 25 year olds there are some guys they come in and they just it's just one injury after another and you know scientifically their body isn't different than anyone else but they just they train the same way i agree yeah they pay attention to detail they're, they're not reckless with their body they do all the right things they do what they're told to do and it's just one hamstring pull and then then it's a separated shoulder and i hope that's not Chaz lucius i really don't um, not only for his sake, but for for Jets fans as well, because apparently he's going to be a really good, um, a really good hockey player. So, from there, there's yeah. been some other developments Speaking since of that bills. time. Speaking of paying bills, there's been three recent contract signings by the Jets that would be of interest. I think uh, very interestingly, uh, Vladimir Nemestikov re-signed with the yep. Jets on July 1st with a two-year contract with an AAV of $2 million per season. Uh, I think this is a very nice depth signing. We'll we'll get into the details. I'll go through it quickly, then we can get into a discussion in a bit. Uh, Morgan Barron re-signed on July 17th, also a two-year contract with an AAV of $1.35 million per season. He was an RFA with arbitration rights. Um, so the signing avoided an arbitration decision. Uh, and as you will recall, he was acquired as part of the Andrew Kopp deal. Kopp, yeah. And then we re-signed the key piece in the PLD trade, Gabe Velarde, on July 19th, also a two-year contracts. We had a sale on two-year contracts, apparently. A little bit more on this one, $3.438 per season. I don't know how they quite landed on that yeah, number. Yeah, weird but number. 
weird number, but uh, a good increase in pay for Gabe Velarde, which I'm sure will make him and his California-based girlfriend a little bit more happy that she's coming to Winnipeg, that he probably more than tripled his salary. So uh, Gabe Velarde was also an RFA with arbitration rights, and this avoided an arbitration decision. Uh, and he, like I said, was acquired as part of the PLD trade. So I think uh, re-signing Velarde and Barron were no-brainers. Um, they're good resignings, and um, just in the whole grand scheme of things, um, will make the Jets better. The Mestikoff, I, you know, you know what? everyone hates Winnipeg, right? But here's a guy who was an unrestricted free agent, spent very little time here, and chose to come back. Uh, same with Laurent Brassois, chose to come back. Yeah, after he has being some nice things to say champion. recently. Yeah, and, and so, listen, is Winnipeg the most attractive market in the NHL? Hard no. Uh, no, it isn't. But I think it can be a right fit for some guys, and we're seeing that. I think Nemestikov was a good acquisition. Um, I think we spoke positively of him on this podcast when he was uh, traded for at the trade deadline. I liked what he brought in the short time he was here, and I think he's going to make our top nine better. He's going to be able to cover for guys when they're hurt. He's yeah. going to be able to provide some scoring punch in that top nine. Uh, that's a really good signing. What did you think, Mike? Yeah, so uh, real quick, and I think there was also AJF signed a, a two-year deal, and then Dylan Sandberg signed a two-year deal, and and so we've uh, got good catch. I was just making sure you're you're doing some work. I didn't want to do all the work here. <laughs> so on uh, on Domestikov, again, this is I agree, good signing, good depth signing. I liked his game, you know, in the limited time that he was here. I saw it's interestingly, I, Scott um, Billick had a piece recently, and he. Had he was just doing some lineup uh, playtime and had Nemeskov with with Ehlers on the second line, and I am vehemently against that. And I've had I've heard others say that you know he could fit in, in the top six, and I disagree. It's no slight to his game. I don't think he was drafted or developed or is a top six player. He can fill that role in short spurts. But if we are slating him in the second line role with Ehlers, do you know why he looked good with Ehlers? Because Ehlers is really good. Yeah. And he makes players look good, and especially players of Meskov's um, value. I, I just, I, again, neither here nor there. It's just I, I, I like him as a bottom. We need bottom six depth on the forward core. Great. We did it. But please, please leave your – he's a top six forward at the door. I just I'm, – I'm not – buying in into that like agf and baron again more depth pieces on the on the back end i i don't think they move the needle one way or another i think you're higher on baron th than i am i i think he you know he obviously endeared himself and and had the the, the valiant comeback after getting freddy krueger in in the golden knight series I, I i just i think he's probably at the level of a, a replacement player ajf but th they are what they are necessarily i did have i i this isn't a conspiracy theory but it is a Ooh. is a pet theory in that like ajf baron velarde samberg all signed two-year deals guess who has two years left on his contract kevin shovel day off. kevin shovel day off and i'm wondering and speculating is it, has there been a shift in the in the brodom between Chipman and Chevy, where there was sort of like, look, you get two years to play with. Don't sign anybody past two years because you've got to show something a little more than what we've got. Otherwise, we're going to look elsewhere for, for GM. Just, just wild speculation.
Sure. The first thing that jumps out at me on that, and, and nice pickup on adding Sandberg and AJF. I should have I should have caught those guys. Um, but that's probably the agents doing their homework. I'm not saying you're Fair. wrong. I'm saying no, that, that's listen, a good point. I don't want to attach my client to an organization who isn't committed to a GM past two years. So let's just take it to two years. We love you. We love your organization. We love what you know. Da 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 da. da. Let's if you're back. We'll retalk if it's a new guy. We want to have some freedom to look elsewhere. So I think it could be as much uh, this is coming from the agent side than than the jet side, but it could be both. I mean, there, there's nothing saying it can't be both. So uh, and just to some of your other points, uh, I like Domestikov. Uh, you know, I I've been really confused with some of the depths people have been throwing out there. Uh, I think. You know, Niederreiter is not a third-line player. I think he's a really... I, I don't know if he's our best right-winger, but um, I, I'm top all six about... Now. Yeah, you don't just put your three best players on the first line and then your next three best players on the second no. line. You try right. to find some balance. And, like, I think I think Niederreiter, for example, uh, is a great fit with Ehlers and Shifley because he's a straight-ahead player. He's a shooter. He can he can get pucks deep. You know he he bl- he player. brings things to the table that those other guys can't do. And then you have your Kyle Connor, your Perfetti, your Velarde potentially on line two. And then maybe you split up from there. And maybe you keep you know uh, Lowry and Barron on a fourth line and Ayafalo and Nemesikov on a third line and bring because Ayafalo has a nice scoring punch. He's got thirty points or more in the last yeah, five he's years. More he's not think. just. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about how we like the game of Bar. Lowry and Barron, but they haven't been scoring enough. We need a little bit more scoring from that third line. Yep, well, maybe that's what Nemestikov and Ayafalo can bring on that third line with the Kapari or whoever, and then you get Lowry down onto your fourth line. And when Lowry's playing on his fourth line, uh, in I think it was 2018, 19, 2018, that was when we were at our best. That was when we yep. were at our best. So if it's not that I want Lowry to be a fourth line player, but if Lowry and Barron are on our fourth best line, then the guys above them are pretty damn good. So that's what's attractive to me for that. So, yep. 100%. Um, so that's super interesting. So you know, I do think uh, I like where our our roster is at. I know that we've really painted ourselves into a corner in terms of material for this upcoming year because there's only one player we can really. <laughs> complain about looking at left you, on the team. Chaos. I'm looking at you, Captain Chaos. The Jets have seemed to move on from Logan Stanley. We've lost some material there. So I don't know. I think looking in the season coming up, I feel good for the Jets. I'm a little bit worried for the podcast because all of our <laughs> low hanging fruit isn't going to be there, Mike. What are we gonna do? Yeah, yeah. If we have like defensively sound but productive forwards and, and defensemen and and we're only left with neil pionk to quote unquote pick on it's we're, we're gonna have to come up with some new material quick my friend yeah we'll have to we'll have a dedicated like 10 minute session every podcast but we'll have to find 40 minutes of other material it's gonna be hard <laughs> it's gonna be hard so that takes us like all in all i i think the signings were um you know after the the, the trade I, you know to reference back to your opening i think myself included where, because, you know, Shifley and, and Hellebuck are still very much question marks. I, I'll speak for myself, where I had thought that this was going to come rapid fire, that there was going to be subsequent Shifley really? and Hellebuck trades. And, yeah, I just, I, especially Hellebuck, I, I just thought it was imminent. But, the you know, the market has sort of dried up, and I don't think, I think teams are 
smarter than they have been in the past in paying a goalie nine nine 9.5 million dollars especially yeah. a 30 year old one and yeah. so i think probably him and his agent have thought well we gave it a shot and that's what you should do test the market and and i don't sure. think the market was, was as robust as here as as camp thought and to me obviously i think it's a very realistic possibility that hellebuck signs mark shafley is just a complete question mark to me he's been eerily quiet and whatever happens i won't be too shocked because i don't really have any expectations but i'm very confident that we're going to start the season with both of them on the roster which you know is rife with his own problems you know, I couldn't agree more uh, I, with your conclusion and where you arrived at. I didn't feel that this it was in this team's DNA to move Shifley. No, and that's Hobart. smarter, actually. I think right. it was going to take all of their, you know, mojo just to move PLD. And I give them credit. And I can't believe how exhausted Chevy must be in Kenora right now, having not only traded PLD, but also bought out Wheeler, which must have taken a lot of, you know, you know, not spark out of the organization, but it must have been tough for them because I think the organization really valued Blake Wheeler. This is not the type of thing they want to do. They want to build long-term relationships. And I do think it was a testament to Wheeler that they were able to pull it off a little bit because, pardon me, it's not in the Jets' DNA. I think the Jets are done. There's going to be no more trades. Now, it will become a little bit more interesting towards the trade deadline with these guys on expiring contracts. Uh, how are things going during the season? What have the conversations been like? What? How, how are things going with the various camps? Have there been talks? You know, the, it takes a lot to get a trade done, right? You need yeah. a willing camp, you need a willing team, and then you need a willing group or, or another team, NHL team, to acquire them. There's a lot of things that need to align. And I don't think the Jets had any interest in moving Scheifele or Hellebuck unless they absolutely needed to. The downside is is now the playbook has been written, right? PLD has written the playbook on how to get out of Winnipeg, okay? And that's a tough part. You don't want to move these guys too quickly, too easily, or you make it, you make you set the, the precedent for the other guys. So that lets me question, you know, how much these guys really want out. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, uh, may maybe it's just moving parts around to maximize value at the next contract negotiation. Maybe they really want out. I mean, it's business, and I think that's one thing that you know Andrew Kopp talked a lot about. He learned that this is there's a business side of this. It's not personal. There's a real, true business side to it, and don't let that kind of come on to the personal side and affect personal feelings so i don't think these guys are getting moved let's let's visit again at the trade deadline it's possible if the jets are floundering around the trade deadline that they get moved but uh, i think it's a wait and see situation yeah I, and you know we were going to finish and this ties right into um you know what what, what what's in store for the jets for the for the future I, again you gotta help me because i'm i just don't understand to me, we're, we're creating a very risky situation. So let's say we come out of the gate in 2023, 2024 gangbusters. There's a renewed vibes, and we shoot to the top of the Central Division, and we're in a comfortable playoff position halfway through. Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck behind the scenes have indicated, doesn't matter. We are not signing long term. Well, in my estimation, you have to move them. You cannot let them play out the duration of their contract and not get anything 
back for them. So we're going to take the Jets core of Morrissey and Ehlers and Connor and, and, and say, well, we made a mistake. I know that we're doing really well. Everyone's vibing, but we're getting rid of our number one center and our Vesna goalie because we can't sign them. And we didn't think this, we didn't have forethought. Am I wrong? Like, am I missing something? Because to me, that's a realistic probabilities. I mean, not probably the most realistic one, but it's it's a definite possibility. Well, sure. And then I think you have to take the temperature of the guys in the room, right? I, th- I think you get a feel. I mean, these guys are around each other a ton, including management around players. I don't think there's a lot of mystery as to what the general feeling is. And I think if you canvass the room, the guys would say, we have a better chance with them than without them. And if, they're, and if we suck, I, I, that's my honest opinion. I think... They're going to opt, players in the room will opt for the devil they know over the devil they don't know 10 out of 10 times. They're not looking at it like us, like, to be honest, like they're, they're pieces on a chessboard. You know, these are their friends, uh, some of their best friends, right? They, they want to go down with them or they want to spend as much time with them as humanly possible chasing a Stanley Cup. And if at the very last minute, the, I think they would understand that if the team wasn't in a playoff position and you move Scheifele and Hellebuck, they would be disappointed, but they would understand. I think it's premature to do that. And I think you you risk losing the room and you risk losing the belief the room has in the organization if you move them too quickly because then they start uh, feeling yeah, no, I disagree. like they're 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 assets and not people and i and you're saying you're applying a level of rationality to a group of people who live in a bubble right this is like their li- their life is like succession right it's not your <laughs> life and my life well maybe your life i've seen your house it's kind of like succession <laughs> yeah. but um I think these guys see the world differently than you and I, and I think that uh, they feel right now that with Scheifele and Hellebuck on the team, they're in a better position to win a Stanley Cup than if they don't. And I think you are, it, it's 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 paralysis by overanalysis if you move them too early. Yeah, I, I just I see it as like so I don't disagree in in sort of in tenant and principle there, but it like starting you know game one. Now, I would imagine there are conversations in, you know, they have conversations, players have conversations among themselves, and I'm sure, you know, let's say it's Josh Morrissey is the next captain, and he sits those guys down and says, hey, what are your intentions with Winnipeg? Because I have to lead this team, and if we don't know what your intention is here long term, then I need to plan around that, and I need to lead around that. And what if they both say, yeah, no, we're, we, we have no intention of – of, of signing we're, we're gonna keep testing the market and again like i agree if the it's it to me it's a easy scenario if we're halfway through the season and out of play of contention it's just not going well well that to me is is, is it easy but why now. would if, they say that i mean these guys are coached by their by their agents to say listen all options are on the table that's what they would say to their best friend ah okay i, I don't think so I, I don't think these guys are telling each other when, when it comes to that i think they go well maybe Maybe, but, you know, especially with Hellbuck's a great example. You know, it could very well be the Jets value him more than any other NHL team, and he's going to make the most money with the Jets. No, and like to me, in terms of playing out scenarios, that to me is almost the most realistic scenario n- now, is that, you know, he, he's, you know, tested the market, and 
realize that that he's probably going to make the most here and you know i think probably the pld trade helps quell some of the panic that that might be going on with some of the jets players because you know stabilize the forward group a bit but i would think anyway that to me i just couldn't think of precedent for it and and i you know i i did a bit of internet research and, and albeit tersely I the internet. I, I know it's the source of all truths, but it was something I just can't recall. Two high, like a number one center and a Vesna goalie going in and being traded at the deadline on a team that was competing, like it was competitive for the Stanley Cup. Because again, that's my only point. Is that to me that right. is still a possibility? Is that we enter the season, you know, let's say in, in your in, in your scenario, everyone is sort of tight lipped and no one concerns themselves with anybody else's future, and they get halfway through, and they're trucking along, and then it just turns out that both of those guys want to be traded at the deadline. Well, well, kind, now, of, kind I, of like Matthew Kachuk and uh, Johnny Goudreau? Well, again, but they like if they, we can come up with a um, star for star, like that was the first time 200-point scores from the previous year had been exchanged for each other. Like I would be dubious, I guess, is the best – and just fan reaction, player reaction, where you're, you've invested in this team, they're in a playoff spot, and then just through circumstance, you know, kind of beyond the organization's control because they determine their own futures, you, you basically have to go in the tank and lose the rest of the – not lose, but, you know, you'd still try, but you lose your, your star goalie and your number one center. I just – I can't imagine – I'm sure they've thought of all this, and there, there's yeah. obviously something Depends behind the scenes I don't back, know. You're not giving them away, right? But, you're not giving them away at the trade at the, deadline. At the trade deadline, again, this is probably too much of a generalization, but contending Stanley Cup teams don't typically give away piece for piece, right? Like if you're in the if you're in the mix, most deals, I would say 90% of them are, here's my first-round pick and a prospect that's in the AHL or the OHL. Yeah. It's not usually like, hey, here's – Here's our second best center for your first best forward and a couple picks. Like that to me is far. Like this is the time where the star for star trades can happen at the trade deadline. It to me, it's you know if you're Boston, why would you give away depth to get you know to get moderately better? Your your goal would be like, no, we're going to sacrifice draft picks next year in order to win this year. I don't know. There's been a lot of strange maids in NHL history, history so true. I true wouldn't that. put it past. I mean, yeah, it, it's not likely, but you know, I, I do think the Jets are just they don't want to make the decision until they absolutely have to make the decision. And, and if you get, agree. I think if you agree. get out too far in front of this, you could end up doing more damage and causing more problems than you solve. So I think they're going to hang on to them. They're going to reassess where they're at. I don't think they've ruled out re-signing these guys and having them retire as Winnipeg Jets. That might be overly optimistic, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Pardon me, at least in terms of what the Jets are thinking. Yeah, no, fair. And on to end somewhat on a, on a positive note, Jay Fresh, top-down hockey, he, he ran the projections, and the, he had the Winnipeg Jets finishing first in the Central with 107 points. Something's <laughs> wrong in the state of Denmark no, on that one, no. I'll tell you. I, was, I, like, I, I take it. I take it. I'll tell yeah. you what. The Jets were a pretty damn good team for the first half of the season last year, and I think they were riding them on about that pace. They were in first place in the Western Conference for a period of time. Then the bottom fell out. Um, listen, um, they've lost PLD. Uh, when if we can get some level of 
you, you know, Peel, when he was really good, the Jets were on top. And when he disappeared, the Jets fell out. Yep. Now, it's far more complicated than just PLD, but those two things moved in tandem last year. If we could get some level of, of you know, consistency that's maybe not as high as the Jets were when PLD was at his peak, but certainly not as low as PLD was when he was at his worst, right. yeah. then then I think we have a shot at something. Maybe not Jay Fresh's model, but this was a very good hockey team for a considerable period of time last year. We were having fun with it. You know, then, you know, we we Winnipegged out and uh, almost missed the playoffs. <laughs> nice but, uh, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I, I agree. On, on that note, you want to take us out? So, fellow travelers, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining us in the Airport Lounge. Check us out on Twitter at Airport Lounge 55 with all episodes also available on Apple, Spotify, and Overcast Podcast. Be sure to come back next week to the Airport Lounge because the first round is always on us. Until then, go Jets go.